Those with a drive to go have an undeniable calling. They are not content to simply have a transformative idea. They want to create and build. They want to wrestle challenges to the ground and bring solutions to scale. They are makers and doers. They are go-getters. Go-Getters features straight-up conversations with leaders on the forefront of change who are taking action to impact our world, just as Lehigh people have done for more than 150 years. Join us as we explore their challenges, their passions, and what makes them go. Hi, and welcome. I'm Joe Buck, host of the Go-Getters podcast, and today I would like to welcome Jamie Flinchball as my guest. Jamie graduated from Lehigh in 1994 with a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. He went on to earn an MS from the University of Michigan and an MS and an MBA from MIT. Jamie is an entrepreneur, business executive, consultant, author, and even podcaster. We'll talk about that later. In addition to founding many ventures on his own, he's helped build dozens of companies during his career. Jamie, thanks for being with me today. Uh, true honor to be here. Really appreciate it. Let's start with uh, your early career. How how did you find yourself to Lehigh, and did you come here knowing you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I probably didn't. I really found Lehigh. Uh, my dad went here, um, as my great-grandfather did as well, and so i had always been exposed. Um, I wasn't a very serious high school student. Uh, lots of other interests, but <laughs> academics wasn't quite there, mostly because I think I was bored, but uh, probably squeaked into Lehigh. You know, it really turned out Lehigh to be a great a great fit for me. I didn't know I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I had been exposed to to, to small businesses. My, you know, my dad ran his own company for, for many years and, you know, I didn't, I didn't do any serious work for him, but I shoveled machine chips and clean bathrooms and stuff like that, uh, throughout the years and, uh, you know, got exposed, but, you know, in many ways I got exposed to the, the tougher side, Yeah. <laughs> you know, the grind out, of uh, uh, portions of it than, than, uh, than anything else. So, I probably had some of that spirit, but really didn't know that's where I wanted to go. What was your Lehigh uh, experience like? How would you describe your time here? My my experience at Lehigh was was really really good. Um, you know, the core experience of of engineering education was great. I got to do a lot of projects and and really sunk my teeth into those. But more importantly than anything, met my wife Jill Triani, uh, sophomore year, uh, and. Uh, but I think the surprising parts, as I really look back on it, were the moments I got to do something beyond the core. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it was, you know, take a class in the in the College of Business that uh, I probably shouldn't have gotten into, but knocked on a door and they said yes, and I got to experience it. Um, and, and probably the milestone of that whole thing was I did an internship at the Energy Research Center uh, up here in Mountaintop. Dr. Ed Levy ran it uh, at the time, and you know, I was doing a lot of just nuts and bolts of of research. And I I, I went to him. And I said, "Can I have my own project?" And, and their projects were pretty big, <laughs> but they gave me my own chunk of a project. And so I got to you know run my own set of experiments with guide, lots and lots of guidance. Sure, that turned into my senior senior thesis. Were you one of the only undergraduates doing that at the time? I think they had other undergraduates uh, doing work, yeah. uh, maybe only one at a time, but it was not their practice to give somebody their own little chunk of, of research. But I asked, I got it, and it it really allowed me to sink my teeth and take some ownership, which that ownership, I think, was 
you know, is an example of the entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. And so I think there's many examples of that during Lehigh where I, I probably didn't recognize it at the time, but I had opportunities to express entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit without actually being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And and speaking of entrepreneurial spirit or, or ethos, right, it's, it's a um, a pretty well-defined culture here continuing to evolve, but I would imagine it wasn't as um, concretely defined in the early 90s. What what was it like looking back? This is all ex post, of course, but like what was the what was happening entrepreneurially in the in the curriculum or outside of the curriculum or for for you all as uh, undergrads in the early 90s? I think Lehigh's underlying culture before I came and since is to allow people to to make things happen. Uh, you know, go stray off curriculum create new programs, you know, uh, break a few rules because it was right for that student. And, and I always found, you know, Lehigh to be very good at that flexibility and, and giving people the breathing space to find their own path. I think more, more specifically and, and even academically is uh, at that time, cross-discipline and even project team learning was still relatively new in academics. And uh, Professor Oaks was was definitely a champion of that. I got to participate in some of some of those efforts, and uh, um, and and those those crew quite a bit more after I left. But um, but there were beginning seeds of that. Uh, you know, again, cross cross college, cross cross major, and um, and again, team projects where you really had to come together. And and I think that aspect is is uh, whether Lehigh was. It certainly wasn't first, but I think was definitely on the leading edge of many of those things and remains there. As someone who, you know, came to Leah from the outside and has watched some of these things, I would say it's um, uh, the entrepreneurship ecosystem, which we'll, we'll talk more about, some of the work that the Baker Institute is doing, certainly isn't, it doesn't feel forced here, right? It, it, it is kind of part of the culture of Lehigh. And, and I think it's, it's contributed, the culture of the place, even back, you know, as you talked about in the 90s, I think has contributed to the success of some of the more formal entrepreneurial type programs that we've been able to, uh, to implement for our students. Yeah, and we, and we see this today with, with people who are even starting businesses right out of graduation or before, yeah. is they're not all following a program like uh, where you, you, you enter here, go through these steps, exit there. Some of them, you know, there's many different pathways to follow to achieve that. And, and people can hop in and out of some of those, those programs and majors and, and everything else and just get good faculty advising along the way. So uh, th- there's many ways for people to go, go create something, um, yeah. whether it's a nonprofit effort or, or a startup or just an idea. Switching to your life after Lehigh, you founded and and ran the Lean Learning Center for, I think, 15 years, if our research is correct. Now, that wasn't your first venture, but I think you're, you're maybe your biggest. Would that be fair to say? If, if nothing else, it was the, the one I, I spent the, the bulk of my career, you know, yeah. 15 years, good chunk of time. Yeah. Uh, definitely sort of the, the cornerstone of my career. Tell us about it. You know, I had been doing some of this uh, lean transformation work at, at first at Chrysler, uh, then at DT Energy. And, um, you know, along the way, I met, you know, what became two of my co-founders. So one was Denny Pauly, who had retired as executive VP of manufacturing at Chrysler. Lee Iacocca had had hired him for that job. Um, and then Andy Carlino, who 
was also with us at Chrysler. I didn't work with him much there, but was a consultant to us at, at DT Energy. And um, we started some conversations uh, about starting a, a new type of consulting and education firm. In the beginning, I was actually just trying to create a supplier to myself. I was, I was going to go off. I was actually uh, offered a COO job at an equipment company. And I was like, okay, well, at, at Chrysler, I had 40 people to work with to do this transformation. Here, I'm going to have none. <laughs> so I'll help create this consultancy and education company that will do what I want it to do. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, both between reflection on what my life purpose was, what I, why I was really interested in the work, and um, I think just more conversation and, and interest in the project we were pursuing, I I abandoned that other other job pursuit and just uh, uh, sunk my teeth in to the to the Lean Learning Center. I know you well enough to say you didn't just choose Lean as uh, uh, some random word out of a Scrabble tiles. What what is Lean thinking? What what does that what does that mean? Lean Learning Center. What's the Lean part? Yeah. So the the Lean part at at the time when we founded it uh, you know, uh, over twenty years ago now um, it was centered on mostly manufacturing and, and was a set of principles and practices that mostly were exported out of Toyota, being the best in the world at what they do. Um, what we were trying to do was really expand that definition to a, a, a culture, a set of capabilities such as, you know, really good problem solving, um, a leadership ethos around essentially supporting whatever the front line is, <laughs> Uh, supporting the front line, enabling them, and really delivering value to the customer. And so, is it you know? It, it's a set of tools. It's a set of practices. It's a set of beliefs. In the end, each company has to find their, or each organization has to find their own own version of that journey. Uh, I don't think there's any recipe for it. But you know, when we started the the Lean Learning Center, we were trying to teach people a what we thought was a higher order. A definition of lean based on principles and leadership. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. And I will admit to have not read, but have paged through your 2021 book, um, People Solve Problems, the, the Power of Every Person Every Day and Every Problem. And uh, one of my takeaways, a question I want to ask you is, is it too obvious uh, a conclusion of mine that you really do equate entrepreneurship to problem solving. Yeah. I mean, it's not really a book just for entrepreneurs, right? right. But, but yeah, definitely. I, I would say both, uh, I equate entrepreneurship to problem solving and I equate strategy to problem solving. Um, they're just different, uh, different levels of complexity and, and different, uh, uh, uh different orders of, of magnitude perhaps. But, you know, I think entrepreneurship often is around you know, closing a gap that isn't obvious how to close it yeah. may not even ob be obvious what the other side of that gap is when you start. Yeah. And so to me, you know, real problem solving is at its core a learning practice. You know, you, you start off, you don't know everything you need to know. Because if, if you knew everything you need to know, then it's just an execution challenge. Yeah. Right? It's just, just go do the thing, you know, you know, follow the recipe, you know, yeah. you put the, put the ingredients in the pan, out comes the, the good recipe. But when, when you start a business or, or start a project or start an organization, you don't know everything. You don't know what it's going to take to be successful, to deliver value consistent with the vision that you see. So you often start off with, I see a gap. 
It could be a gap in the marketplace. It could be a gap of what people are experiences, their pains or, or their, 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 their dreams. And you see, you know, this is a, a gap for people or for companies or for individuals that they don't know how to solve. And you think you know how to solve it for them. Yeah. And so both in the creation of the, the value, whether that's a product or a service, but also, of course, the creation of a company that can consistently deliver that value, there's a lot of learning. So it's, it's a big giant problem to solve. And then it's also thousand and one problems underneath the hood yes. <laughs> that you have to solve along the way. So along those lines, you know, entrepreneurship specifically, um, let, let me ask you to apply the nature nurture framework to it, right? How, like what, you know, how much of successful entrepreneurs is inherent and how much can you learn to be uh, a, a successful entrepreneur? I, I think it's it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's not one or the other. I think there are some people that have a personality that, you know, they they are really built to be an entrepreneur. I think there's others, and I'll put myself into this category, that I wasn't built to be an entrepreneur, but I almost had to do that anyway because I didn't fit into the corporate structure very well. I mean, even when I was at Chrysler, I'd be given a job. Here's your job scope. Here's your job title. Here's your business card. And then I'd spend about half my time on my given job and half on other things, not outside the company, but other efforts we were making to transform the business. and That were interesting to you. They were interesting to me and yeah. I thought were important to go solve. And yeah. I would just go do them without asking for permission. And so for me, it was just a good fit with my personality. Um, so, so I think there's, you know, from a personality belief system, there, there can be, you know, s- strong and weak fit. Um, but I, I, I do think there's the ability also to, to nurture it and build it, um, you know, through practice, uh, uh, through support. Um, you know, you, you start off and say, I have this vision, but I'm not an entrepreneur. Great. Surround yourself with people who are, put the right, uh, structure in place and, uh, I had this belief early on that, you know, entrepreneurs were just risk takers. And we all are, of course, human nature, we take risks every day, but, you know, they were, they were unhinged risk takers. And, uh, you know, one of my mentors was, uh, was Roger Penske's partner, Walter Zarnicki. It actually came from me writing a letter to Roger looking for, you know, some mentoring. And he's, you know, he's a very, very busy guy. It always has been. And he's panned me off to Walter and it, it was fantastic. I learned so much from him. But I, but I, I remember asking him a you know, sort of a question like, you know, can you be risk averse in an entrepreneur? And he said, well, we've only bet the company maybe once in the entire duration of this incredible success. Um, and he was you know, really describing to me, you know, we're risk averse too. Um, you know, smart risk. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so I, I think, you know, Deciding to be an entrepreneur in the model of someone else yeah. is 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 usually the first mistake. It's like you got to find your own version of being an entrepreneur. What what fits you? What allows you to sleep at night for the right reasons and not sleep at night for the for yeah. the right reasons? Yeah, uh, as well um, is really important. And for me, you know, it you know having that risk aversion is. Oh, I've never mortgaged the house just to you know go fund the business as an example. So. Um, I think it's, you know, everybody can find their own path and it's, it's part, part nature, part nurture. And there's probably some people out there that were just born into it, but, but I wasn't one of those. Yeah. <laughs> You've now mentioned a couple of mentors, uh, uh, Andy at uh, the, the, the Lean Learning Center and now Walter. Um, 
we did a podcast interview with uh, John and Serena and and Brian, um, three fledgling entrepreneurs. Right. Um, what what is it that you appreciate about about engaging with with young people like that here at Lehigh? Well, well, for one, uh, you know, I learn faster, um, you know, because they're learning faster, right? So, uh, you know, I always use as an analogy for uh, for learning uh, baseball, which I'm really not an expert in in any way. I didn't didn't play very well when I was a kid and don't even watch the sport. But, you know, if if you want to learn to swing the bat, you don't get to bat twice a twice a game and hope you're doing a good job. You get in the batting cage and swing it many, many, many times. Yeah. Right. And, and so for me, keeping my learning muscles fresh and I get a lot more swings of the bat in the batting cage, working with young entrepreneurs who are moving fast. They're pivoting sometimes twice a day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, certainly throughout a summer or throughout a year, they're, they're pivoting. They're asking big questions, small questions. And, and as selfishly, I, I get a lot out of that. I get a really good session in the gym, <laughs> uh, uh, the mental gym, uh, working with them. Of course, they need information. We all do. And I usually don't even have the information. I just try to encourage them to go find it. I sometimes can point them in the right direction of finding it. Um, but helping them see that, you know, some of the questions they have, uh, nobody has the answer to. So you're, the, the birth of your company is finding that answer. And that's, a, that's what entrepreneurship sometimes is. And mm-hmm. so just giving them the confidence to face their own face their own challenges in their own way is, is uh, usually what I strive for. And, and seeing each, each leap that they make, some small, some backwards, but they still learn from them so they can go forwards, some big giant leaps forward. Each one of those is rewarding uh, to me. Um, and, uh, you know, they're pedaling so fast they can't appreciate those leaps at the moment. But I either can for myself and I sometimes help reflect that back to them and show it as progress for them. You just described it, but I'm going to ask you again, how much of it or how often do you find yourself being direct with these young people saying, um, you're asking me the wrong question. You should be asking me this, or you're asking me questions that you really shouldn't be worried about today. Or, or you know, is it on the continuum of all of the things that you help them with, is there a common theme that, that comes out, you know, that, that you could say would be consistent given, you know, all the number of, of folks that you've mentored here? Yeah, I, it's a, it's a really good question. I, I, Probably if I sat down, I'd really build a, a good answer. But I will say that the number one theme is, is, is almost always uh, the, the rigor of, of momentum. Yeah. You know, don't, don't stare at the problem forever. At some point, you keep staring at it. It doesn't look any different. Do something, right? Go do an experiment. Go talk to somebody. Uh, uh, go, go launch it. Um, go, go ask a question. Go do some research. But staring at it doesn't change it. I think another big theme is is really being clear with yourself uh, around what you know and what you don't know, right? And and the whole point is, you know, leverage what you know, right? That's your, I don't want to say your superpower, but that's why you're there in that moment is you've built this knowledge and and you may not know everything, but you know enough that you saw an opportunity that other people aren't pursuing. Right. Whether it's going to work or not, maybe other people saw it, looked at it. And it failed or there wasn't really an opportunity, but you'll learn that as you go yes. forward. So you have that knowledge, but then be equally clear about, okay, here's the questions I have. Here's what I don't don't know. So have a strategy for that. Again, whether you ask a question, you go do a test, you go study, or you just pay attention to your work as you're, as you're doing it. 
I think, you know, any of those things, just being clear about it being a learning journey is super important. Yeah. Um, I think there is a desire to, uh, to find the right answer to a lot of questions. And, and the instinct, this is where I think the lack of experience, right? So experience does have value. I'm a big fan of the quote. I have no, have no idea who said it, that experience is not what you've been through. It's what you take from it. Mm-hmm. And so in many cases, I'm just trying to help them extract more from the experiences they're having. But, but one of the intuition gaps that, that you just have to develop over time is which, to which questions do I need the right answer and to which questions do I just need a good enough answer? And that can be a real hanging hanging up point for for someone you know that inexperienced because you want the right answer for all of them, and of course we learn that in school. Right, there's a lot of there's a lot of peer pressure, subtle pressure on being right, yeah, right, and having the right answer, and and especially in the environment that they're in, you know, as undergrads, right? Yes. There's a lot of a lot of pressure there. A lot of pressure, and you know, exams are built that way, yep. and yep. you know, Grades standardized and, tests, yeah, and it's yeah. it's built that way. And there's a lot of things that you just go. Um, Okay, this is good enough. Will the customer care? Yeah. Will I care? A year from now, can I change it if it, if I find a better answer? And and you go through that and go, yeah, okay, it's good enough. Stop worrying about that. Do it. Go put your energies yeah. into something where it is important to get the right answer. So it's the process of thinking through that and developing the intuition about where to put your time that 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 takes time. And I just try to accelerate the learning curve by making sure they're more aware of yeah. how they're going forward. Yeah. Are there themes of, of phrases that you seem to be repeating or, or consistent advice that you seem to be giving these young folks that you've been so uh, instrumental to? Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely some difficult conversations over, over time, whether it's, you know, leave or not leave or uh, put this on the back burner and go get a job or go to grad school or, uh, you know, break with the co-founder I have or bring on a new one and things like that. And, and with big decisions like that, I'm really clear not to give them the answer because mm-hmm. it's not my life, right. right? And it's not my business. So I just help them think it through, which, which in my advisory work today is often what I do with executives of multi-billion dollar businesses. Just let's lay this out. Let's break it down. Let's examine the, the risks and the pros and the cons and think through the question. So if you want to, if you want to drop out that's your call. What are the, you know, what's the risks? What's the benefits, you know? And it's, it's knowing enough about the situation to ask versions of that question germane to the situation, you know? So as an example, you want to drop out because you feel really good about getting this business launched. Well, will the market only be here now or will it still be here in five years? Right. I don't know the answer. They may not know the answer either, but it's super but, relevant to figuring that out. You, you mentioned a moment ago about kind of what you're doing now. I know that you are have a consulting company, um, Jay Flinch, and I'm, I'm wondering if you'll share with us a little bit about what you do. You mentioned, as I said briefly, about you know, helping companies think through some strategic uh, scenarios or decisions they have to make. But tell us a little bit about your company. Yeah, I saw the Lean Learning Center seven, eight years ago. Spent a few years in the executive team of Corvo Semiconductor and retired end of 19. And I, I first started 2020 thinking, well, I'll just pick up a few advisory clients that are looking for some help and then spend the year figuring out what to do with the rest of my life. Um, I don't play golf or have any hobbies that are terribly time consuming. So, uh, And when the pandemic hit, a lot of those clients that I was working with really needed a lot of help to, to get through it. 
And I also started helping a lot of small companies for free just get through that early stage of the pandemic. So, so then I just sort of kept leaning in because I was enjoying it. And, and so, you know, it's really not about lean anymore, but I still call it lean. It's lean thinking advice. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I, I don't spend a lot of time on a lean transformation, but I bring my lean thinking to the table. And I, I work mostly one-on-one with executives of companies from $20 million to, you know, to, to tens of billions. Um, and I, I act, I'll say, uh, three parts, one part thought partner. Mm-hmm. And they just, they don't have anybody else to really think through a tough challenge with. And, and I become their thought partner. Part advisor, I, I have a wide aperture. I see a lot of things and I've done a lot of things and here's some of my advice. And then part coach, mm-hmm. just kind of more what I'm doing with uh, many, of, many of these young startups of just asking the questions and help develop them as, a, as an individual. And, and, and so those are the three parts. They all kind of come together and some people need more of one than the other. And are these um, mostly... Or are they a variation of manufacturing companies, service companies? Like what what kinds of company do you have a particular um, interest or expertise where you found a little niche um, kind of market-wise or does it run the gamut? It, it pretty much runs the gamut. Yeah. I, I'd say my niche is is more about the type of person I work with. Sure. Um, someone who, you know, it's not about just you know, the next career step. It's, you know, they really want to make a difference. They really want to grow, be impactful, you know, maybe take their organization to a different level. And yeah, it's, it's, it's service industries, it's, it's big manufacturing companies, it's small, you know, engineering companies. Um, it, it's pretty much all over. And, you know, that's consistent with my, my history with my consulting is we, we covered almost every indus- industry from, you know, the railroad system in the UK to Intel to, <laughs> Fidelity Investments. Um, you know, those were ranges of my clients. And so, you know, I, I've kind of in a lot of ways always been industry agnostic, yeah. um, which helps me avoid going, you know, well, this is what you should do in this case. <laughs> this is the right answer for, you know, how many widgets to build because I don't really know your market better than you do. Yeah. I can just help you figure out what you know about your market and what you don't. You mentioned selling the the Lean Learning Center, but... Um... Uh, this is the cross-promotional segment of the of the podcast. Um, you haven't lost the word lean altogether. Lean whiskey, I, I understand, is a thing. Can you uh, can you expand on what lean whiskey is, please? Yeah, it's a it's it's a podcast I, I have with my my friend Mark Raven, and much like the spontaneous starting of many companies, uh, Mark and I had an idea, and and so when we would travel, we live in different places. We would travel both a lot and we'd sometimes end up in the same city and he's in the same field I was in. And so we would have a, uh, um, you know, we find a whiskey bar cause we both enjoy whiskey and we talk shop. Um, you know, so we wouldn't usually talk about families and, you know, sports. We, we'd talk about lean. So, uh, and so we kept joking. I don't know if we were joking or serious or we didn't know, but we, we should, we should do a podcast like this. And on a more serious note, um, you and Jill, have um, have been generous and philanthropic to to Lehigh, and uh, you mentioned your great grandfather, and 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 you um, and Jill have a, a scholarship here in in his name. Can you talk a little bit about what philanthropy means to you and Jill, and how you think about it, and 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 what it means to your family? 
Yeah, so the, the, the scholarship was actually sort of in between. It was actually my grandfather. Grandfather, excuse me. But he didn't go to college. Um, I, uh, but he, he still built a company. He got his professional engineering license. You can't do that anymore. You can't not go to college and get a profession. Yeah. You know, then it was a test. And I actually have his professional engineering license on, on the wall. Um, but, but him doing what, what he did uh, allowed my dad to go to Lehigh and have opportunities. What my dad did allowed me to go to Lehigh. And, and, and so, you know, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I got into Lehigh. <laughs> That, that's all of my contribution was. A lot of other things had to happen to allow me to experience Lehigh, including what my parents did for me. And so, you know, that, that's, that's part of philanthropy for me is uh, help create those opportunities so that more people can experience it under the, the, the right ways. And, you know, he was a, a technical entrepreneur, mm-hmm. which is what the, the Donald Flinchball Scholarship goes towards. Um, and, and really all forms of philanthropy, um, both financial and time, uh, you know, everybody has their sweet spot. And I actually think that's a really good thing. You can't give to everything. Um, you can try and, and people people do, which is great. But to me, education is, is in my view, the silver bullet. It's it, how do you want to solve world hunger? Well, we need to educate more people to come up with solutions to do that. How yes. do you want to solve disease? Well, we need to educate people that come up with a cure. And so you go list all of the world's problems. And to me, education is, is the pathway to all of them. I also know that, that um, you and Jill have um, trusted Lehigh with some of your most cherished assets. Would you, would you want to tell us a little bit uh, more about your Lehigh family, please? Yeah. So we have... Uh, you know, two of our two of our three kids. Uh, one's still in high school, but uh, uh, Emma's a, a junior. Jack is a freshman. Um, and uh, you know, they they, Did very, they have a choice. They've you know, everybody jokes that we they didn't. <laughs> That's why I figured I would insert that here. But, insert joke here. Did they really have a choice? <laughs> but I'll say Emma was maybe you know more of a pursuit of passion. Yeah. Um, I I still remember maybe she was a junior or senior and in uh in high school and she came down on a Friday before. Lehigh or Thursday or Friday before Lehigh Lafayette with a Lehigh sweatshirt on. And one of her brothers said, you know, you know, why, why, why do you have that on? You know, Lehigh Lafayette's on Saturday. She said, it's, it's, it's like, it's like Christmas. You don't just celebrate it on one day. (laughs) So, so she, she built some passion around Lehigh uh, very early on and looked hard, but, but really became the right choice. Jack, who's, you know, far more analytical. He, he laid out his criteria of what he was looking for, you know, engineering, uh, a school that was not separated from the town, but more blended with it, yep. not too far away, not too big, uh, flexible education options. And, you know, he laid out his criteria. And once you looked at it, yeah, I, I, I actually encouraged him to look at other places. And Lehigh was the best fit with, yeah. by far for, for what he was looking for. So, um, so yeah. Uh, and <laughs> it's you know their majors are their decisions their yeah. their pathways their decisions and as, as much as I'd love to help um you know not only do they have to figure it out themselves they want to sure um including your youngest uh child any future entrepreneurs you think uh I can only hope yeah um <laughs> but you know again it's going to be uh if they if they want to think about that um I'm happy to have the conversation when asked yeah but I'm not gonna, not gonna try to push them in that direction or impose my will on them. It's because you know, to me, entrepreneur, 
there's a there's some upsides and there's a lot of downsides. Yeah, you really got to want it. Yeah, uh, that's uh, well. Thank you for sharing your family with uh, with with Lehigh and for doing so much to honor your 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 father and the folks that have come come before you. I, I'd like to um, close by by asking you to think back and and ask you know what would you say to the 1992 Jamie Flinch ball today? What would you say looking back? What would you tell him? Uh, I would probably uh, tell him to, uh, to to branch out further, faster, um, you know, get more breadth uh, further and faster. I, I definitely tried to. I, you know, I, I took uh, journalism. I, I uh, went into the Williams Prize for writing. I took a capstone business school course. I worked at the Energy Research Center. But um, there's probably many more doors or at le- that either I didn't knock on uh, to go through, or I didn't go enough through the door, right? Once I knocked on it um, and got through and, and go deep enough. And, you know, it, there's very low risk when you're that young and, you know, you don't have a family or you, you're you just, uh, you're still in school, you're taking different classes. And I, I probably with which wish I had uh, gone a little broader, been a little more experimental. And uh, um, I'm not sure it would have changed anything, uh, I still feel like the pathway I ended up going down worked out quite well, so I have no sure. regrets. But I, I, I do think I, I definitely was probably more risk averse than I needed to early on. Yeah. Is that the same, the second part of that question, is that the same advice you would give Lehigh students today? Of course, not your own because you're their dad and they wouldn't listen because I say that from firsthand experience, but other Lehigh students, but what, 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 would you give them the same advice today? I, I give them the exact same advice, yeah. and, and but with one... Uh, added extension to it, and that is What's that? that is the things that that you're not sure about. Uh, you know, I think I want to do A, but if not A, maybe B or C. Well, go try B or C now. Don't stick with A and just keep going down that path, assuming it's right. How do you know B and C are not right? Great chance to experiment. Yeah, and a little bit fortuitous for me is you know I thought I might want to go get my PhD. Um, applied mathematics was in my mind is what I was going to do. I don't know why, but just, uh, that was what I was thinking about. And as, as great as my experience was at the energy research center, I also learned that research wasn't for me. Yeah. Just the speed of it and everything. It was, I I really respected it. I got a lot out of it, but I learned it wasn't for me. And that, I want to say close the door on the PhD because I kept it in the back of my head for a while, but I, I, I did learn, okay, here was an idea I had. I learned enough that I learned that it probably wasn't right. Um, you, you said the last question in your podcast is usually something fun and light. And um, on the Go-Getters podcast, it is existential uh, <laughs> in nature. And it's not an original question, but, uh, but it is a, a question that I like to ask all of our, uh, all of our guests. So um, I will ask you, Jamie Flinchbaugh, is there anything you know for certain? Uh, what I know for certain uh, is is that uh, we should never be uh, never be afraid or or feel that a few people can't change the world because that's all that ever has. Uh, a few people, whether it's in politics or science or business, it, it sometimes only takes a few people to change the world. Uh, that's been true since the beginning of time, and I, I believe it to be true for the for the going forward. 
Jamie, uh, thank you so much for being with me today. Um, Jamie Flinchball has been my guest class of, of 1994, entrepreneur, business leader, consultant, author, podcast host, um, tremendous mentor, advocate, and resource for our students. Um, partner to Jill, also a class of 1994. Uh, um, the two of them are phenomenal uh, Lehigh ambassadors. And I just want to say thank you, Jamie, for all that you've done and will do for Lehigh, and especially for being with me today. I'm glad to be here today, and I'm, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to contribute to Lehigh. So thank you as well. This has been Go-Getters, a podcast from Lehigh University hosted by Joe Buck, Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations. I'm Gianna Jara, founder of With Meraki Co. With Meraki Co. was founded during my senior year while studying biomedical engineering at Lehigh University. The Baker Institute at Lehigh connected Jamie and I during this time. I had the pleasure of receiving mentorship from Jamie over the course of the summer during the Boost Ventures Lab program. We began our summer by setting some goals. For me, the biggest was launching my probiotic supplement. It seemed incredibly far-fetched, but Jamie supported this goal of mine and curated the summer mentorship around me, having me ready for a late summer launch day. He played a crucial role in getting my business into a positive position that was ready for launch. Lehigh is so lucky to have someone as dedicated, kind, and helpful as Jamie. Special thanks to producer Janet Norwood, media production specialist Jarrett Brown, and the Lehigh University Office of Development and Alumni Relations. Go inside the episode at lehigh.edu slash go-getters to learn more about Ventures Lab, the entrepreneurs and founders getting their start at Lehigh. Don't forget to subscribe to Go-Getters on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. And take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so that other listeners can find us.